have uh, retired to a seat here. That, that means we're going to have a panel. Uh, and um, I'll, I'll introduce it first and then I'll uh, welcome uh, others to come up and join me. Uh, obviously, for the last few months uh, in our Sunday evenings, we have been considering uh, the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters. And we've discovered that uh, really uh, God sets down a blueprint uh, for uh, his uh, global plan. And we, we thought about the beginnings uh, of the world, the beginnings uh, of sin and judgment, the beginnings of family uh, and of nations. And those 11 chapters have been fantastic to look at. Uh, but I'm sure as you've sat here for the last few weeks, you've maybe had a few questions in your, in your own head. And so we thought it would be useful uh, to compile some questions, particularly ones that young people uh, would ask. And so uh, tonight you're going to see that many of our young people are going to take part in the service. They too have been studying these same chapters in the activities that they're involved in on a Sunday, uh, Grounded and Youth Fellowship. Uh, So uh, my thanks um, right from the outset to the the, the guys who are going to be asking some of these questions because some of them uh, have been away for the weekend uh, with the UBR and probably have had a lot less sleep than you or I have had. And so to come out tonight uh, is especially good of them. So thank you guys for, uh, for coming out and for obeying your parents. Uh, who probably insisted that you came. So I want to introduce our panel. Uh, now, for, for, for no reason at all, uh, it happens to be uh, three Davids. Uh, that's David uh, Farrell, David Russell, and David Bingham. And not only that, we had David uh, praying as well, so it, it feels a bit of a David night. Uh, I don't quite know what you call a group of Davids. Is it a, a dichotomy of Davids or a dirge of Davids? I, I'm not quite sure. You could probably think of your own grouping. Hmm? A delight of David's. Oh, you're just perfect, aren't you? Well, come on up and join me since you are such a perfect bunch. A delightful bunch indeed. Great. The, uh, the two Davids at the far end, I don't quite know how I'm going to address you all now. I'll just have to be eye contact, but the two Davids at the end are sporting our, our, our new microphones. Um, so it's a generational thing. I, I would describe those as Madonna mics, but I'm told that a lot of people call them Britney mics. So, so if you're younger and cooler, then you'll be knowing, knowing these as Britney mics. When, when you get to my age, you don't even put one of those on. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, so we're going to run through a few questions. And again, you'll find that these are sort of straightforward questions. Um, and that's no bad thing because they're the sort of questions that you might be asked as well. So as we go through the questions, think about how you would choose to answer this question if it was asked uh, in university or in work or of one of your children. What would, how would you particularly answer these questions? So uh, these guys have had uh, a few days to think of them, um, but uh, we, we, might, we might pose a few more as well as we, as we get on. So uh, let's fire on ahead. The first question, Alex is going to walk around with a, a roving mic, which is great. The first question is from James McMullen, and, and the questions will also be on the screen uh, if you can't hear. What does it mean that God was in the beginning? Did someone create God? Okay, did you hear that okay? What was uh, the question is, you know, we read about this uh, great creation, but uh, who, who created God? David, David number one. <laughs> okay. Um, a very, very good question. And one that when I was a teacher in school, I would have been asked all the time. 
okay, who created God? And the simple answer that I'd have given, and I'm conscious that we're looking at a number of questions, so we've only got a couple of minutes for each question. I answer that I would say, if someone or something created God, then that creator would have become a God. So therefore you just you end up going backwards and backwards and backwards. So the fact of the matter is that if God was created, the creator of that God was God. So it's, it's just not sensible. Because what we have is an eternity, right away back in time. And remember Tim Graham was here a couple of weeks ago and he ran a piece of red string out that door and he took it as far as, far as America and out that side there. But if you were here, you'll recall that talk. But that piece of string, while it was telling us something about the length of eternity, wasn't long enough. Because eternity was, goes on forever in both directions. And our little point in time, that little point in time is where we are. And so therefore, did someone create God? We're looking into a way back into a distant eternity, way, way back there. And our minds quite simply cannot even begin to comprehend that we work in a three or four dimensional world, whatever way you want to look at it. And we cannot begin to comprehend and to understand eternity. So what does it mean in the beginning? I take that to mean that in the beginning of what we have today as creation, in the beginning God created. And it's a remarkable statement that in the Genesis chapter 1 and 1, in those very, very simple line of sentences, there is so much that needs to be unpacked. God created us in the beginning. Okay, thank you. I'm going to stick with you for the next question as well, if that's okay. okay. And we're going to go to Connor on the other side here. Connor Kennedy. Did God create everything in six actual days, and what other possibilities are there to the creation of the world? Okay, did God create everything? you want me to answer Are these two not getting paid today? <laughs> Did God create everything in six actual days, and what are the other possibilities for the creation of the world? Um, can I take the second half first of the questions? Uh, again, a very commonly asked question. Uh, what are the other possibilities for the creation of the world? Well, I suppose the creation of the world falls into two ways of looking at it. Um, you have those who talk about evolution, which is not creation. You've got those who teach evolution, and then there's those who teach creation. Here within the Crescent Church, we are creationists. We believe that God created the world. Whenever you move into creation, then you're asking, are there other possibilities? And if you went and talked to a number of Christians across the whole spectrum of evangelical Christianity, you will find that there are a number of possibilities. Some people will talk about theistic evolution, in which God controlled and designed evolution. Some people will talk about a gap theory. And by that they mean that the first verse of Genesis chapter 1 outlines the initial creation and then there's a big long gap before you get into verse 2 and then into chapter 3. There's other people who will talk about the fact that it was six ages rather than six literal days. And so therefore, rather than six Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, it was six periods of time. And finally, there are people who will teach us six literal days, because seventh day God rested. And so out of all of those, you've got all of those various perspectives and viewpoints. The question is, which is right? 
Well, I'm not going to say that we as a church hold to one specific account. People within this church will hold different accounts. But I think it's a very, very important thing to consider when you're considering creation. And that is God created Adam. And the creation of Adam is absolutely essential as a person. And so the reason it's essential as a person is when you take the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, it goes right back to Adam. And whenever Paul starts talking in Romans about sin and the origin of sin and all the rest, he takes it right back to Adam. So Adam was a literal created person. And I personally believe in the Garden of Eden, original sin, and all that's associated with it. Now whether or not it was six periods or six literal days, I'll leave you to make up your own mind on that. But the question doesn't ask me that. (laughs) Okay. Um, that I'm sure um, will get everybody thinking and maybe it's thought that you've already had. Uh, any, any comments that you'd make, David or David? Yeah, uh, my, my Christian hero is a guy called John Lennox, Professor John Lennox from Armagh, but Professor of Mathematics at Oxford. And uh, if you want to explore this concept further, he has a, on YouTube, he's got a, he's speaking to a group in New York, uh, it's titled Seven Days That Divide the World. And he explores the text of Genesis chapter 1 in a marvelous way and answers some of these questions. Uh, so it's, you get it on YouTube or Google it, Professor John Lennox, Seven Days That divided that Divide the World. Great, that's very helpful. Um, we'll go on now to another question which kind of <laughs> leads on from what you mentioned about the six days creation and then a seventh day. Um, so Fergus uh, Johnson, you've got a question. Um, so if God can't get tired, why did he rest on the seventh day? Okay, so David, we'll stick with you. I suppose the first thing to say is that God didn't have to rest. He wasn't tired. It doesn't say he had to rest. It says he rested. And if you think about it, he had done this amazing creation. You know, all the beauty of the, the universe, uh, the stars, our own earth. And then on the sixth day, he creates uh, human beings. He creates Adam. And that, in a sense, was the finality of his creation. His work was completed uh, on the sixth day. And the concept of the seventh day is that he, he rested because his work was done. It's a theme in the New Testament. When, when Christ was on the cross, he said, it is finished because his work was done. I... Uh, let me be slightly controversial. I, I tend to take the view that the seven days are not 24-hour periods. Obviously, on the seventh day, I'll throw out a question. Does the se- is the seventh day continuing God's rest until the new heaven and the new earth and sometime in the future? But, and I don't wish to offend anybody, but I remember my daughter coming home from school. You know, she was in her mid-teens. She had a strong Christian faith, but had been really racked by doubts because for many Christians, we, we see ourselves pitted against, Christi- against science, or certainly science sees itself pitted against Christianity. And that is, not, that is really important. Again, John Lennox deals with this brilliantly, uh, where he says that the two, God created the forces in the universe that science seeks to describe 
So I tend to fall into the category of, of belief that there were six periods of time that God created, or uh, six periods rather, not, not necessarily of time, that God created this the whole physical universe. And it wasn't until day four that the sun and the moon were created, if I've read that right, where you would get your 24 hours from. So I think it's, it's not something we should fight about. Uh, I respect fully people because God could have created the world in, in six periods of 24 hours. He could have created it like that, but he chose in Genesis to describe the process. Okay, and what do you think about this concept of rest on the seventh day? Is this a, is this a good principle? Well, isn't it very interesting that throughout the world, uh, whether it's uh, Judeo-Christianity or uh, the Arab world or whatever, but we, we, we've got this seven-day period which originally was six days of work and one of rest. It's now increasingly five days uh, and, and two of uh, one of entertainment and one of rest. Uh, so there is something about the human nature, the human body that requires that cycle of work and rest. And God, the Creator, built that in. I think it wasn't just accidental. Okay, thank you. I'm going to go back to you here, David, uh, with a question from Ethan. <laughs> Thanks, Ethan. Um, where do the dinosaurs fit in with the biblical account of creation? Okay, do the dinosaurs fit in with the biblical account of creation? Um, when I say something, the answer is no. You're going to say what? Well, the answer is no because the word dinosaur is not actually used in history until around about the 1840s. So therefore, it's a relatively modern thing finding dinosaurs. So Technically, the term dinosaur you will not find in the creation account. So if you go to read the creation account, you will not find dinosaur. But in chapter 1, and I think it's around about verse 21, if I can remember correctly, it talks about the Lord creating, and he talks, in the King James Version talks about it as being creating the wheels of the sea, which is not a, a, a literal or a good interpretation. Other modern versions will talk about creating the enormous and the, the big and the large. And the idea is that there are reptiles, and the word is closer to reptiles than to, to whales. And so therefore there is no reason in the world to doubt that God created dinosaurs. The problem arises whenever you start to ask, did dinosaurs and men live together. Well, the Bible talks about a number of occasions in the book of Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible, a written book in the Bible, and in there, there are at least two references to mighty beings, animals, which would fit the description that we would use today for dinosaurs. And also, please don't get the idea that dinosaurs are these majestic, huge, big big beasts of 20, 30 meters high. There's tiny things which are also dinosaurs. So the reality is that in the Old Testament, there is reference made to dinosaurs, and in the creation account, there is a suggestion made to dinosaurs. The question, as I said, is, did man and dinosaur live together? The evolutionist will tell you that man didn't live with the dinosaur. There was 60 million years in between. And yet there does seem to be evidence, sketchy, I'll grant, but evidence to suggest that there are incidents when man and the dinosaur lived side by side. There are cave drawings, for example, 
from the Stone Age and beyond, 1500 BC, 2000 BC, of man and dinosaurs living simultaneously together. And the caveman would have written what he experienced and what he saw. So what happened to the dinosaur? Well, that's another question. I believe that the flood contributed to it. Others come in with other ideas. But yes, dinosaurs existed. Dinosaurs exist in the Bible. Dinosaurs no longer exist, thank goodness. But the reality is that, yes, God created dinosaurs. Okay. Have you a comment that you want to make? No? no. Um, okay. David, you have David Russell in the middle. You've got, got off lightly so far, so I'm going to turn to you. And we're going to move it on a little bit in the story of creation to the point where God created man. We've talked about Adam being the first man. And I suppose you've got, to, when, when we think about humanity, uh, thinking of that sort of fundamental question, why did God create humanity? And then, of course, when we know that there was the fall, when sin entered the world, um, you've got to think, well, surely it was a mistake in the first place. So why did not only God create humanity, what was the purpose of that? But then when God knew that it would all go the way it went, why did he do it in the first place? Well, well can I just start off by, uh, by thanking the young people in Grounded and YF um, for the way they've engaged with the studies in Genesis this year. Um, they've really kept the leaders on their toes. They've asked us some pretty tough questions, uh, which is just the way we like it. So, um, so thanks to all you guys for that. Um, I think whenever we're thinking about why we were created, it's really important to think, first of all, about how God created us. Um, Genesis says that we were created in God's image and in God's likeness. Now, that doesn't mean that we look the way God looks. That's not really what it's saying. It means that we're made to reflect the character of God. Um, mentally, we're created to be rational people. We're created to be intellectual. Um, we have the ability to choose. Um, morally, um, we are created with a conscience. Uh, we're created to have relationships with each other and a relationship with God. And all of those things are intrinsic, really, to who God himself is. And God made us that way very deliberately. He made us that way, which was very different from how he created any other kind of life, because he has a very deliberate purpose for humanity. Um, in Genesis, he told Adam, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God says we were meant to fill the earth. We were meant to be productive. We were meant to take care of this world that he has made in the same way that he would, with the same care that he took whenever he created it. Um, We were meant to rule over his creation alongside him and to to use his creation to its fullest, to be creative with it, to essentially work side by side with God in a relationship with him to advance his creation. Um, So our purpose was always to be like him in the way that we relate to both the world and to other people as well. And of course, sin has damaged that. And that's why the world is the way it is, which brings us on to the second question. I think this is a really good question. Um, If God really does know everything and he knew what was going to happen whenever he created Adam and Eve, then why did he create them in the first place whenever he knew everything would go wrong? And I think the key to understanding this is a verse that we find in Revelation, which is a book all about how God deals with human sin once and for all and in some ways restores that image of God into humanity again. It describes Christ as the lamb slain from the foundation 
of the world. And I think that's a very important verse to get to grips with because whenever the Godhead said, let us make man in our image in Genesis 1, right back at the very start, whenever the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed to create Adam, knowing full well what would happen, knowing full well that they would disobey him, they were also agreeing that one day there would come a time when one of those three, God the Son, would have to come down to that same fallen world and go to the cross and pay the price for human sin to make things right again. So it's amazing that even back then, Christ had already agreed to go to Calvary whenever Adam was still just dust on the ground. Um, And we have to ask ourselves why. And I think the reason why is the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. Um, The creation story, I think, lets us get a very profound glimpse into how deep and how infinite God's love for us really is, that right from the beginning of everything, he loved you and he loved me so much that he didn't just agree to create us, he also agreed to do whatever it would take to redeem us and to bring us back to him again. And I think if we ever have times in our lives when we doubt God's love for us, if you just remember Genesis chapter 1, and you remember that verse, let us make man, and all that that means, then that uh, puts paid to any of our doubts about how much he loves us. Thank you, David. Okay. Um, We're now going to have a question from Joseph McGee. God established a framework for healthy relationships and family. Is his plan no longer fit for purpose? So, David... We know in the, in the story of creation and in, the gen, in Genesis it's recorded that there was Adam and Eve and family then. So, you know, that, that seems so ancient to think about that. It, it, but we're a modern society now. We've, we've evolved in our thinking, surely. Is, is this idea that God set up, is it no longer fit for purpose? Um, those first 11 or 12 chapters of Genesis are, are really crucial because they do, as David said, provide a blueprint for how... Uh, God created man and ultimately society. Um, it's interesting that in the um, account of creation, um, I believe the creation of Adam and Eve were specific time-bound events. I don't think uh, that happened over a long time. I think God intervened into this amazing world that he was created to create men and women in his image. And then in chapter 2, um, he uh, creates them as companions and ultimately as a man and a woman shall leave their parents and cleave to each other. And the Christian notion of marriage is essentially one of man, one, one man and one woman. And that relationship will last uh, until death us do part. Now, is it still relevant today? It's interesting. I, I was just trying to get a few facts and figures. There's so much talk about, for instance, um, same-sex marriage. You, you tend to think there's a wave tidal wave of it out there. Actually, uh, 97% of all recorded marriages, I think this is 2017, uh, were between men and women. So it's still incredibly relevant in our society. It's still, and I think God had created a marriage essentially as a framework, not, first of all, for the happiness and contentment of the people involved. Now, that does not mean that everyone uh, needs to be married to be fulfilled. That clearly is not the case. But nonetheless, it is a model not just for fulfillment of a couple, but in which to raise a family. And perhaps in the greater scheme of things, that's a critical bit of architecture 
that we see in Genesis chapter 2. Again, interesting, about uh, 40% of marriages uh, don't don't succeed. They end in divorce. That's in the UK, about 50% in the United States. And the, the big problem coming out of that is not just the unhappiness between the two couple, between the two people, but the kids that are le- left very often to be brought up in a single parent family. Now there are some brilliant examples of single parents raising kids, so it's not an attack on that at all. But nonetheless, it's 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 difficult and it's hard, and I don't think it was God's plan. But you come back to why does marriage not work? Well, the overwhelming reason for marriage not working appears to be. Um, lack of faithfulness. One partner, you, sadly more often men than women, being uh, sexually unfaithful. And that is again against God's law. Sometimes there are legitimate reasons for marriages breaking up or understandable reasons. But very often it's because our sinful nature takes over. And the great thing about a Christian community, while uh, divorce does happen occasionally, it is relatively rare and it's so important I think that we hold that premise of marriage as being in God's plan for his church. Um, Peter Mead was here a couple of weeks ago and he recommended a book to us. I hope there's still some copies out there. But developing what David was saying, that God's plan for marriage carries right throughout the whole of the Old and the New Testament and is very, very important scriptural principle right throughout the whole of the Bible. I'd highly recommend Peter's book because he traces it from Genesis right through to Revelation and show how the the imagery on the reality of marriage is important in God's plans. And I think when I last looked, there were three or four copies still out there in the foyer. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Now we're we're going to jump ahead to uh, the story of uh, Noah and the ark and the flood and uh, some of the best stories uh, in the Bible are found in Genesis, but this particular story does uh, pose some problems in our heads, I'm sure. So Max, you've got a question about the flood. A worldwide flood sounds nearly impossible. Where did all that water come from? Okay, David Russell, um, this idea of a worldwide flood, could it really have happened? Well, a lot of people think that it wasn't a worldwide flood, that it was a more localized flood um, that took place around the part of the ancient world where humanity was at that time. Um, from what we read about the flood in Genesis and going into the New Testament as well, um, it tends to say that the flood covered the earth. So I think we'd have to be careful not to speculate too far beyond what the Bible actually says. But um, it would have taken a lot of water. Um, Some people think that the environment was different during that time. Uh, Genesis talks about the waters above, and some people think that was like a a water canopy that covered uh, the earth at that time, and then that was released, and that partly caused the flood. And again, we don't know for certain, but what we do know for certain is that the flood um, came from two places. One was from below, and one was from above. Um, First of all, it says the fountains of the great deep burst open. Um, So at that time, there were massive underground reservoirs of water, that were trapped beneath the surface and those reservoirs broke up and then burst through the ground and uh, from below. And whenever this happened, there could have been a lot of tectonic stress and that could have meant that the sea level might have risen and uh, the seas would have spilled onto the land as well. Um, what's interesting about that is that there was something within the earth uh, already that God was essentially controlling and keeping in its place. Um, He was keeping those boundaries of the water exactly where they were for humanity's safety. 
And whenever people completely rejected God, and they didn't want his influence, and they didn't want his say in their lives or in the world, eventually God came to the point where he said, okay, if you don't want me, then that's fine. And it's almost as if God nearly took his hand away and removed some aspect of his influence and his control. And all those boundaries that he had been keeping in place overflowed and there was, there was chaos. And the Bible teaches that that's ultimately what happens to a world that rejects, um, rejects its creator. And then secondly, Genesis famously says that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights uh, without stopping. Now, in Belfast, that doesn't seem to be anything too uncommon. Um, but it says that the windows of heaven were opened. And whenever the Bible uses that phrase, um, it's talking about more than just very heavy rain. It's, uh, it's talking about God himself sending rain where there hadn't been any rain before, like in the story of Elijah, for example. So the rain was sent down by God. Um, and it's possible that there was no rain at all before this, that the rainbow in, in Genesis was the first rainbow that there ever was. We don't know for definite. But what we do know for definite is that it was an extreme and God-given rainfall. So on the one hand, you had God taking some of his influence away, and the waters came from below. And then on the other hand, God exerting his influence, and the rain's coming down from above. And I think that gives us a a sharp wake-up call as to how seriously God takes sin. Good point, good point. Any other thoughts on that? No? Okay. Harry, you've been very patient waiting for your question. Thank you. Harry McMullen. In Genesis chapter 11, we read the story of the Tower of Babel. What was so wrong with building this city in the tower? Okay, Mr. Bingham, at the end, what's, what's the big well, issue about this tower? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting uh, question. Now. I'm trying to remember, the, who spoke on the, uh, the Tower of Babel of Genesis? Uh, Peter Meadows. Peter, yeah. I think I, I, I found Peter's explanation very convincing, which was essentially um, society had to develop. So if you go back to the flood where God wiped out mankind, uh, the sin that was going on was so awful that God caused that great flood to wipe out mankind, save for, for eight people. But he made a promise that he, wouldn't ever dest- he would never destroy the world again in that manner. And it's interesting, so historians from sources outside the Bible and the Bible would suggest that there was a character called Nimrod. Nimrod was the great-grandson of Noah, and Nimrod is associated with uh, Babel and that region. And Nimrod, uh, so great-grandson of Noah, but by that stage the population was expanding again at a very rapid rate. Um, other historians outside the Bible tell us that he became a very autocratic and brutal and cruel, cruel ruler. And um, while there's no evidence that he was involved in building the Tower of Babel, um, other historians suggest that he may well have done. So society, despite only being four generations away from Noah, society was turning against God. It was being tyrannical and abusing uh, those who held power, abusing others. And God looked down and... and he must have been perturbed again. And he intervened. So I see uh, what happened in the Tower of Babel. So clearly they were building uh, a city uh, where instead of the people going out to the earth and spreading out across the wonderful uh, earth that God had created, they were congregating uh, in, in this city and building this tower. Technology would have meant that they, they weren't 
probably wouldn't have been that high. It wasn't a question of God getting worried that they were going to build it up into heaven. It was God saying that here was people again disobeying his, his basic premise, his basic commands, and he was going to interject. And what he did was to, to divide that community uh, through the use of language. I think it was also interesting when Peter spoke that that division and that scattering created across the globe, if you like, many Babels, many Babylons. And I thought the point that he developed, and we see that in evidence today in just about every political structure where man disowns God and wants to oppress and also just exalt himself over God, I thought was a really interesting point that he made. Thank you. Now, time's beating us, but we're going to ask one final question of, uh, of you, David Russell. Um, we last week uh, took us uh, took us right up to the end of chapter 11, and we we even entered a few verses in chapter 12 uh, when God uh, promised a blessing to this man Abraham and to his offspring. Uh, and this word uh, blessing is and, and, and bless is a word that we often use as Christians. So what does it really mean to this, this word blessing and, and what did it foretell? Well, it's a really interesting question because um, the blessing that we talk about as Christians today was directly linked with uh, the, the promised blessing that Abraham was going to get whenever God spoke to him in Genesis 12. God said, I will bless you and I will make your name great. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that blessing for Abram in that time meant that he would have a family when, humanly speaking, that was impossible. Um, it meant that he would have an inheritance that would last forever. He would have a land that would always be theirs. They would have security for the future. But it was much more than just a physical blessing because what God was doing at this time was he was really creating a new kind of humanity through Abraham. He was creating a people of faith who would be able to come to know God for themselves and have a relationship with him and also show the rest of the world what God was like. So it was much more than just a physical blessing. It was also a spiritual blessing. It was all about bringing spiritual life out of spiritual death. And the reason that this is such a special promise to us is because the end result and the fulfillment of that promised blessing was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was, the, it was one person who would come into the world through Abraham's line, um, who was also the one God promised Eve away back in, in Genesis chapter 3, who would bring an end to sin. And of course, um, that's why uh, this is so important for us, that that person is the Lord Jesus Christ um, himself. And um, the real blessing that we talk about and that we experience in our lives as Christians is that through him, all of us can be blessed because we can come to know our creator for ourselves. Um, Ephesians says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. And that's whoever we are and wherever we come from if we, if we trust in him. Um, and that's that kind of idea of spiritual life and how that impacts on our own lives, our own everyday lives. Um, Ephesians says that because of the cross, um, each of us can have a place in God's family. Um, we also have an inheritance that's stored up for us in heaven. We have security, we have hope, and um, we have a home with God forever. Um, and if you're not a Christian here tonight, um, you're really welcome. It's really great to see you. Thank you for coming. Um, but if you're not a Christian, and um, maybe some of these ideas are new to you, um, the message of the Bible is that God wants to bless you. Um, this blessing of Jesus is God's free gift to all of us. Um, he wants to give you spiritual life. He wants to give you an amazing eternity um, because he loves you. 
and he wants you to be with him forever um, just by trusting in his son. And if you want to find out a bit more about that, um, over these next few weeks on the run-up to Christmas, as Will was saying, uh, we're going to have some services here focusing on how God sent his son uh, down to earth to save each of us. So I'd really like to encourage you all to come along um, to those services over the next few weeks. Uh, please feel free to invite your friends and family along. You'd be really welcome. And uh, we really hope and we pray that you'll discover for yourself what God's blessing can mean in your life. David, thank you very much for that. Uh, that's all our questions, um, but we're going to we're going to end with a song. If that that gives the the guys a chance to come up uh, on stage, you stay put for now, um, because I think it would be good uh, for you to show your appreciation not just to the delightful Davids, um, but also the young people who asked those questions. So let's give them a round of applause. As David at the end mentioned, uh, we we have um, been thinking about blessing just in that last question and, and how good it is to think of Jesus. We started by singing that Jesus is the author of creation, so we were able to think of him then. We even uh, delved into Revelation at one point, but it takes us back to the cross and all that Jesus has done uh, at that point in time as well. And so we're going to finish uh, our service by singing a song called My Jesus, My Saviour. Many of you will know that, and then I'll close in prayer at the end. Of course, there is coffee, uh, tea and coffee and refreshments in the cafe at the end, at the back. Uh, and so if you want to uh, t- take up any of these questions with our panel members or anybody else, please do so. Think about these things again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the author of creation, that in him and through him all things were made. And as we've been considering uh, the wide expanse of the universe and how you created it, we also think that you created each one of us, uh, each unique, uh, each individuals. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you had in mind to create each one of us. I pray, Lord, that we would live in the light of your love for us, that we would come to know you through Jesus, and that we would enjoy uh, this wonderful creation that you have made, that we would put our trust in Jesus Uh, to restore a relationship with you because uh, there is nothing good in us um, because of sin. But we thank you for Jesus and how he has opened up this ability to have relationship with the creator God. So we thank you for our time together. Uh, I pray that you would be with us uh, in all that we've got on this week. I pray that we would put you first in everything. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.